What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast at FilmmakerU.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. And this episode, we're going to be sitting down with Patrick Tuck and Varun Viswanath. They're the two editors of the latest season of Reservation Dogs. And we're going to specifically focus on their work. They teamed up to work on Season 3, Episode 3, which is known as Dear Lady. And we're going to get into all the nitty-gritty about this. And I recommend you check it out before we get into the interview. If you like these kinds of discussions, please make sure to check out filmmakeru.com and use The Cutting Room, all one word, The Cutting Room, to get 10% off any of their film courses. Now with all that said, let's hear what Varun and Patrick have to say about Reservation Dogs. I do want to talk to you a bit about the pilot, uh, Varun, because pilots are some of the toughest things to cut because you're finding the structure or the approach for the rest of the series and you're trying to fix things as people work problems out so how did you approach the pilot for reservation dogs um i i have to put in the disclaimer here that i was one of three editors on the pilot but also all all the three of us editors have worked together before on what we do in the shadows mm-hmm. uh, so it was kind of a the same team went and did um the pilot it was one of the first to go um after all the pandemic lockdowns fx and everybody else wanted to throw more bodies at it to be like okay let's make sure this is great um, so there are pieces of the pilot that I that I got to cut, which um, uh, which I'm very proud of. Uh, and uh, the the pilot itself, I think that um, it's interesting. This pilot did not go through too many kind of tonal changes um, or modifications to be like, oh, do we, uh, you know, is this is, is this not hitting the right tone from production uh, decisions? Uh, that wasn't something that we had to really deal with in post. Um, the one big thing that we did, um, was to add an extra scene with, uh, you know, once we went into series, it was, uh, an extra scene that was added to, uh, where the, um, where the bad guy gang or the Indian mafia, mm-hmm. they do another drive by, uh, right as they're coming out of their memorial scene, um, to amp up that, that rivalry. Uh, so that yeah. was a reshoot, um, in, in the, um, uh, while the series was going on. But yeah, the pilot was it, it. It kind of just hit us uh, with a surprise. I was like, we when we were watching the dailies, like we knew we had a good, you know, a good premise of a show. Uh, but then seeing it come alive with all these uh, new faces, um, and and especially the uh, William Knifeman spirit scene, uh, which you know we always knew was well conceptualized, but to actually see it come together uh, mm-hmm. with how. Uh, how much of a wide range Dallas Goldtooth, the actor actor who plays uh, the spirit, uh, the wide range of improv that he gave us there. Um, I, I think that was kind of the big, like the keystone of of the pilot to be like, oh, okay, now we know that this is something that everybody can laugh with. Um, and, and, uh, and also, you know, kind of that style of um, the home video style that, that Bear has when he shoots mm-hmm. um, for his school and just that, that kind of you know play we place the characters so quickly in the um in in their kind of grandiose view of their own youth and and uh and how they have such big ambitions um you know that that are beyond um the place that they grew up in um all of those things like really caught me uh very early on um those are kind of my big memories from the pilot 
Now, in this episode, this season, uh, episode three, how did you guys split up the work? Because uh, usually whenever I talk to editors, it's one takes, you know, episodes one and three and the other takes two and four. And how did this work? Yeah, this this actually was a serendipitous um, uh, collaboration, um, mainly because I had a uh, I had a planned two week break in the middle of the season um, where I had plans with my family. And um, and then on the on, on the front end, this episode really took a long time to get through the first couple of stages um, because it is such a heavy topic um, and the, the footage um, of, um, you know, children being in in the situations that we show them in, um, it just took a long time to get through an editor's cut, to get through a director's cut, and we took, I think, two or three X the time that we usually take in um, in a half hour show, and, and the people around us were uh, really wonderful in giving us that time. Um, Patrick Mandenbush, our uh, post supervisor, um, was willing to flex the schedule for this episode specifically because we knew it was going to be a a big thing, a big project for all of us beyond just um, you know any regular episode that we do. Um, so as a combination of all these things, we weren't able to hit kind of the lock dates before I left on my break. Um, which is when I, I handed it over to Patrick uh, to take over while I was away. Um, and so that's how we ended up collaborating on this episode. Um, and I think it turned out way better for that collaboration. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I think uh, once it was passed to me, we were really focused on like the structural uh, elements were already there and already like um, really well done and it was flowing really well we just wanted uh tonally to reshape some certain segments to to keep you know uh dear lady's motivation alive and moving throughout the mm -hmm. episode so a lot of what i was doing was um tonal restructuring in a sense and a lot of like experimenting with music and stuff like that like i'm in canada right now and we're going through reconciliation and what have you with the situations that occurred with uh the indigenous people in our country I'm wondering, how do you determine how much to show or how much to reveal? Because it's an important topic for people to be aware of. How do you determine what to withhold without not disrespecting, but still respecting the original? I think the reason I bring that up is um, there's the scene where we see the grave being dug. In Kamloops, a couple of years ago, they discovered mass graves of Indigenous youth. Right. Um, you know, these were questions uh, and conversations we had constantly in the editing mm -hmm. process. Um, and we really did take the leads of the Native American creative heads um, uh, on our show. Uh, Dennis Goulet, who's a, a Canadian uh, director who was the director of this uh, episode, um, she had a very thoughtful preparation towards what are we going to show and what are you know what perspective are we going to take um uh, and all of this in discussion with Sterling our, our our showrunner and the perspective that we came into this with was that we want to root this in the point of view of the children going through this experience um so in a way yes we are this is the first time a major broadcast show in um, in the US is broaching this topic so we knew that we had to be extremely careful about how how we do it um, but also that we do it as right as possible based on um based on all of our instincts and the 
the boundary drawn around we want to show this from the children's perspective and 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 have a representation of what their experience would have been was our guiding principle um, in what we want, wanted to show. Um, you know, in the beginning, we had a lot more that we could understand of um, what the uh, adults in the boarding school were saying, um, which we kept clawing back and saying, okay, no, we want, we want their um, words and their language to be as little understandable to the children because that is that was their true experience um and so even as scripted there were a lot more spaces where we as the audience could understand them in english um, but we clawed a lot of that stuff back and gibberish them as we started calling that <laughs> you know behind the scenes uh, we gibberish a lot that they were saying to root them in the point of view um so that was our guiding principle well and that's interesting because that was one of my questions was did you guys do that mostly in post or like was it written into the script and I guess my my second question is did you guys flip it backwards and that was it or did you guys do more to it <laughs> yeah just to g give you the evolution from from the first initial stages of uh, editor's cut and director's cut um our director Dennis had the actors perform them in uh kind of written in reverse syllabically reverse and they uh, many of the spaces uh, the nuns do speak in a, on set in production in a gibberish way, which is syllabically reversed. Um, but in many other places, we did just reverse um, in, you know, in Avid, we reversed the audio. Uh, but the other thing we also did was we pitched it down so that it is a little more ominous. Uh, it, you know, that I think that really helped a lot. Um, so that was the initial stages of of the changes, and I think once it went to um, our post sound people, they went in and literally cut each syllable and reversed them and put them back together. Um, and Patrick can tell you a little bit more about how we went through that process. Yeah, I think uh, the sound team at first had experimented with doing. Um, they had recorded ADR that was. A different type of gibberish you know it was it was as if they had recorded it on set where um it sounds like it's english speaking but it's you know you don't mm -hmm. understand what it is and they experimented with putting that into it and when we played it back we it, it just wasn't feeling right it didn't feel like that's what was coming out of them it, one it looked like lip flap a little bit and it also looked like um it, it just didn't feel in the scene you know so then when we started going through and, and reversing more of more of it. It's surprising that when you reverse it, it does actually like look mostly like it's coming out of their mouth, you know? And um, for whatever reason, I don't know if that's like a rhythmic human way of speaking that makes it that way or what, but um, yeah. So this, when we're in, when we're in the mix, we were experimenting, experimenting with that and the sound team did a great job. I think it turned out really well. That was going to be, cause when I was watching, I'm like, I think that's in sync yeah like, it's oh, weird it's like, in sync and i was like i'm like did they do it on set or did they do it in post because it was very very interesting to watch and experience it was um, a mix you know there were like in the mess yeah. hall they were clearly speaking you know in a syllabically reversed mm -hmm. script on set so we didn't have to do anything there sonically except for a pitch shift mm -hmm. um, but in many other scenes they uh they didn't quite perform both versions in English and in gibberish. So, and, and since we really increased the number of you know, gibberish instances, 
um, that's when we went into this whole process of figuring out the right treatment with the uh, with Patrick Hogan and our uh, who's our sound um, editor and his team on how do we achieve that where it still sounds ununderstandable, but this audience is not looking to understand it. It's not like, hey, did I hear that right? We like immediately from from the first couple of words, we needed to land this idea that this is not to be understood. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was a tricky balance that we had two or three rounds of notes on to make sure that we don't leave anything, um, you know, any, any, anybody in the audience guessing on whether or not they should be paying more attention to try and understand what they're saying. No, Patrick, you uh, mentioned coming in to do some of the work on the tone. How did you tackle the tone in this episode? Because it is a fine balance to keep people hooked on it and engaged. I think the big thing was when I came into it, uh, the cut was at a stage where the present day, the present day Dear Lady stuff and the um, flashback Dear Lady uh, material was sort of feeling the same. It was very somber throughout and very much like uh, Dear Lady sort of um, reminiscing, you know, and and less of a feeling of like she was on the way to do something. Mm -hmm. um, and so the the first thing upon watching it that I noticed was I, I wanted to feel right from the get-go that Dear Lady was on a mission, you know, that she's on her way to do something and that these flashbacks are coming back because of that, not the other way around. Um, and so there's a scene where Dear Lady goes into the bathroom and she's washing the blood off of the antler um, and it snaps. And we had, uh, so we added a bunch of, you know, like quick cut flashback things to sort of set up our thesis statement for the episode of like, okay, this is happening. It's not really in her control almost, you know, it's something that's coming back that she needs to remember and that we need to see in order to understand what she's going through. Um, and in doing that, it, it became clearer. And then on top of that, we, um, Sterling had discovered this artist. I don't know if, if someone showed him the artist or, or um, our music supervisor found her, but um, an artist named Molly Okosamwin, who uh, has an incredible tone in her work and, and her album Sawtooth um, has this really interesting jazzy feel. There's a jazz element to it, but also there's this, this like mourning, this feeling of mourning behind the music. And um, mm -hmm. Sterling sent me uh, a Spotify link to that album and said, oh, I wonder if any of this would work in the Dear Lady episode. And I listened to the album while not working, which I, I like to do so that it's more like, oh, I'm feeling it instead of trying to figure out where I could plug it in. Um, and it just realized like, oh yeah, this can work all over the place. So I just started plugging things in, started moving things around. And um, the opening track of the episode is, is a Molly Obasanwin track. And um, mm -hmm. there's also, after we figured that out and, and used another track mid episode, um, our music supervisor reached out to her and got some unreleased tracks from her. And one of those tracks is, is called There There, which is the track that plays um, as she's leaving my, James Miner's house after she's killed him, um, which is worked out beautifully in that it's, it's such an emotional resolve in that sense. But so, yeah, so our, our whole mission was to uh, sort of juxtapose the present day with the flashbacks much more. So it felt more like um, 
we were switching back and forth tonally and that there was more purpose in that sense. One of the things the uh, Indigenous community is very community focused, like it's all about generations handing off information and sharing knowledge. So when you guys were building the season, but like in particular this episode, um, how did you go about showing these parallels between the different generations? I feel like this episode is kind of the counterpoint to that, okay. right? It is, it is um, showing how community was taken away from mm-hmm. um, that generation and many other uh, subsequent generations of Indigenous uh, people. Um, and I think that's how you know, in, in serving that contrast, um, it, it's very powerful to say, hey, like, this is what, this is what feeling, uh, this is the feeling you get when you get ripped away from your community, when you get ripped away from the cultures and traditions um, and the day-to-days that make you feel a sense of security. Um, and it is a starting point for generational intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. um so i think that's that's what we were trying to focus on in in showing um as far as this episode is concerned and i think it it then ripples forward to sh- you know when we do in later episodes show the community coming together um show generations um you know pushing each other forward with their wisdom whether it comes from an elder to a younger or in many situations in this episode, we have the 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 younger reservation dogs pushing their older generations um, out of um, some of the trauma that's that's been holding them back. Is there a particular scene or moment in this episode that was tough to come together, or you sort of you were struggling to get it together that you're really proud of the outcome? I would say um, in this episode, I think more than scenes, I think it was the structure of it that was. Um, that was challenging in the beginning, but then very rewarding when we did find it. Um, the the script itself was um, written as larger chunks of um, with with chronology within them. We started in flashback and we stayed there for a while, and then we came to present day. We stayed there for a while. We got to the diner. She started, you know, she met Bear, and then we had a huge chunk of flashback and a huge chunk of present day. Mm-hmm. That's how it was written. It read very well. It was directed, you know, like that, um, with a lot of um, very well thought out scene transitions between, you know, present day and and um, and past. And um, but once we put that together, you know, once I put that together as an in an editor's cut, um, each scene worked well in itself. And sure, we could swap takes out, change pace here and there. Um, but the larger challenge to solve was the overall structure. Um, where um, uh, Dennis and I wor- did three different versions of, you know, progressive versions of restructure, where we ripped the the scenes out from where they were originally scripted, out of the chronology that they were, and we said, okay, where can where can a present day moment and a flashback moment have the most emotional resonance, um, and do they does it really need to be in full chunks? Like, do we have to tell full stories in the in the flashback? Um, where you're to follow the plot of who is who, or do we just use them as um, emotional um, uh, fortification of what's going on? And that's the direction that we leaned in. And um, so the parts that were really, um, that that felt very rewarding, 
were finding new places to juxtapose scenes. And I think, uh, especially when we had when we had scene transitions that were well thought out before, and we have to reluctantly walk away from them and find new places to do it. Um, and one of them was the the axe digging the grave, yeah. uh, cutting into the fork, digging into the um, into the pie um, that was meant to actually go with finding the nun dead in the woods. Uh, but since we changed where the flashbacks came in, we ended up using it there. Um, and it worked so well when I did it the first time, Patrick and Sterling double, you know, double down on it and, and really leaned into like, okay, this grave digging is going to be a, a discordant beat in her head while, um, you know, while they're going about their day. Um, and, and then we cut into the pie and it, it really added a sinister nature to what was going on that we didn't have before or had, hadn't been intended, uh, but we were able to find it in the edit. Um, there were a couple of other places where, you know, just finding matching moves, you know, from the diner in, into the mess hall using sound to transition, um, which were all really, I feel, I feel like those moments that we were able to find in the editing elevated the flow between um, the present and the past while still maintaining that, you know, traumatized, discordant um, feel um that we wanted to get out of our experience of remembering all these things before we got on here you talked about the opening and the ending of this episode changing that what was it that changed well i'll start off we we had moved a lot of um the conversations between the, we called them like bedside chats right between young dear lady and and um coda the child and um we we're sort of finding that there were it was there was one too many conversations. It felt like a, re, a repeat of an emotional beat, and so we ended up conjoining um, two of the scenes uh, where they're having a conversation, and then it's interrupted by the nuns coming in, and they end up dragging him out. That originally was a different conversation that happened mm -hmm. before they dragged him out, um, and so we we were getting close to locking the episode, and I uh, Varun had just come back from vacation, and I said, "Oh, you have to watch the cut. We're about to lock it. Like we need your notes on this." Um, Varun watched the cut, and and had a few thoughts that we absolutely attended to and then uh had the genius idea of moving one of those conversations to the end of the episode which i'll let him take it from here yeah there was this fishing conversation that dennis and i like we were very attached to but we also uh couldn't find the best place to put it it was initially intended to be um like a, all these the, the kids have a this conversation about escape and fishing and um something that was supposed to uh be them furthering their friendship and then it was the the way it was scripted it was that after that conversation you you have this hope for them and then right after that the nuns come and drag coda out so and crash it down so that was the initial purpose of that scene um but it wasn't quite helping us there um as much as it uh, as it could um so it, it was always a little bit of an orphan child that we didn't know where to put it but we really liked it um, and when Sterling and Patrick were working on it while I was away, uh, that, that scene didn't find a place. And then when I watched the cut, um, and uh, they, they had made the choice to end with Dear Lady driving, um, you know, which made absolute perfect sense. Um, that's when I had the idea to say, hey, like how, what if we put the fishing conversation here? Like she was remembering a lighter, friendly time, mm -hmm. she was a, a moment of bonding. 
um, where they both had something to look forward to. Um, and what if we use try to try to use that to, at the end of the episode so we can bring it back to Dear Lady and Coda, um, and it would uh, it would give us a a moment of levity and hope at the end of a um, really harrowing episode. Um, and when I pitched that to uh, Patrick um, and to Sterling, they immediately bit and they and they and they cut it in, and that's how the ending of the episode um, came about. Um, and in the opening, of course, like it was Patrick doing those flash cuts after she broke, um, inadvertently broke the uh, the deer antler. And that was something that came together in the editing as well. And I think that really set the tone, like Patrick was saying earlier, of dear ladies on a mission, she's on a journey. There's some propulsion be behind what she's doing in the present day. Um, and, and the snap of the antler um, really just jolts her into the mm -hmm. trauma uh the traumatic flashback of what happened to her um in association with you know her becoming the dear spirit dear lady spirit and and the antler as a weapon of choice um in her righteous justice that she seeks out so i think that that opening really tied it really well together and set us up for the journey um for the rest of the episode now i have one last question for you guys what would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film or tv show to watch um i'm a bit of a sucker for superhero uh, things that I'm I I I really love watching superhero origin stories. Um, so all the stuff that Disney's doing now on um, super, you know young superhero origin stories, that's my guilty pleasure. I will I it's those are all weekly airs and those are things that I watch literally on the nights that they drop. Um, doesn't quite fit in the same world as me working on uh, uh, you know. Uh, kind of smaller scale intimate co comedies that like we do here but that's that those are my guilty pleasures how about yourself patrick uh, i'd say it's either uh reality shows which i watch with my wife all the time because we can talk through them so like after you know we both work all day and then when we go to sit down we don't really want to watch a show where we want to shut up and <laughs> pay attention so we'll put on you know whether it's i don't know selling sunset love is blind we watch all kinds of reality shows and um, I pretend that I'm not watching them. I'm like doing things around the house, but then eventually I'm sitting down and, and involved in the plot and discussing it with her. And then, or sex in the city, we watch all the time because th that show is just genuinely entertaining and fun to talk about together. The new one or the original? Both. We watch both, honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean the, the originals, you know, we're much more into, but the second season of And Just Like That was actually very solid. Thank you so much for letting me interview you guys. Thank, thank you, so you for having us. So that was my interview with Patrick and Varun. I'd like to thank Evan Winch for cutting this episode. I'd also like to thank Jason Banky for producing it. I'm your host, Gordon Burkettle. Thanks for listening. <laughs>